In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. On this second Sunday of Lent, I really want to tell you a story about the time that I gave up caffeine for Lent and then accidentally drank an entire Red Bull at midnight while studying for exams at seminary. I really want to tell you that story, but I, I can't. I can't tell it to you today because our lectionary writers, those pesky people who put together our readings, well, they haven't done us any favors this morning, and especially with this gospel reading. For some reason that I don't know or understand, they have decided to kind of start our gospel mid-story. So I have to back us up four verses or so and read to you the first four verses that lead into this pretty infamous story between Jesus and Peter and the disciples. So hang in there. We're just going to start again with the gospel for a second. Verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. And our passage picks up with this verse. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. And on we go into today's gospel. Now, this story, this, especially that little intro, is pretty famous. And in church language, we call it Peter's Confession. You are the Messiah, the Christ. And we see it both in Mark and in Matthew. In Matthew, this is a very positive story. It's Peter understanding something that comes from divine origin. And, and Jesus even said, you didn't get this from human minds. You got this from the divine from a divine place. And, and kudos to you, Peter. But Mark, our reading for today, takes a much different tactic with this little story between Peter, who represents the disciples, and Jesus. This is actually a contentious story. There, there's an interrogation that is going on where Jesus is interrogating Peter and the gang, trying to understand what the word on the street is about Jesus. And when Peter comes to that great ta-da moment, you are the Messiah, the chosen one, Jesus actually um, rebukes Peter eventually because Peter doesn't quite understand what's going on. And so today we come to a gospel that is really a crossroads between who Jesus understands himself to be and who Peter and the disciples understand Jesus to be. And this is a crossroad at the very foundation of the rest of Jesus' ministry. It's going to decide how Jesus is going to behave and how the followers of Jesus are going to follow him. So before we get to that, I have to tell you a story. Of course I have to tell you a story. And um, I told the 8 AMers I was thinking about not telling this story because it's about my mother. And it turns out there are a couple of visitors here today who have known my family for a long time. So if I need some backup, I've got some backup in the crowd if she's watching online. I apologize, Mom. It's not that bad. My mom's a realtor. She's been a realtor for probably 35 years at this point. And I want to tell you the story of buying my house here in Florida 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was hired as the associate 
down in Palm Beach Gardens at St. Mark's. And before I came down to start, my mom and I did a scouting mission to find a house. And after looking around, we, we, she found a realtor that was very good, and we went together. And we found this house that was wonderful, right by the Gardens Mall. So we started the negotiations, and my mom said, in order to get the best price, this is 2014, right? So in hindsight, it, was, it is the best price. But <laughs> she said, write a letter. Write a, you can't really talk to the seller, but the realtor can send it to the other realtor, and then the seller will get your letter. So I wrote this really beautiful letter. Dear sellers, my name is the Reverend Sanford Groff. I'm a, pr a humble priest in the Episcopal Church, moving down here from Baltimore, and on and on, I went, you have a beautiful house, and I can't, you know, make it a home, and all this kind of stuff. You know, please accept my offer, which was, of course, under the asking price. They did not accept the offer under the asking price. They didn't budge. They didn't even do anything, which bothered my mother, of course, and she's good. She's a very, very good realtor. She wanted me to get the best price. So she began to work with our realtor down here to come up with different strategies. She said, oh, you can get a seller's credit for this, and you can, you can have the inspection and kind of point this piece out, and that'll get you a little better price. And we went back and forth with our realtor and the seller, and they didn't budge. They just kept on keeping on. And I didn't really know what to expect. When you buy a house, that's the biggest purchase you're going to make. And it becomes this really kind of stress. If you've ever bought a house or multiple houses and you're not like an investor of houses, you know how stressful it can be. And my mother's always said that. She said, buying a house is one of the most stressful things you will do in your life. And so I found myself just wanting to sign the paper, just sign the contract and buy the house. And my mother wanted to get the best deal. She knew what she was doing. She knew there was a better deal out there if only our realtor would do certain things with their realtor and get a message to them. And it went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So one day, after a, a, a while of this, it probably was a couple days. It really wasn't that long. I'm being dramatic. But my realtor called me and she said, Sanford, either you need to just sign the contract and buy the house or this thing's going to fall apart. She said, I understand your mother's perspective. I'm a realtor. We want what's best for our client, but you are the buyer. You need to make the decision. And I realized I, I had not, I realized I needed to put my big boy pants on, right, and make the decision. And here's what happened. Now, Mom, you can correct the record later. You'll be here next week, so watch out for her. She'll come in here and correct the record. But Here's what happened from my perspective. Mom was looking at it as a realtor and was looking at it as a transaction, which is how you're supposed to look at it when you're doing business. You look at it as transactions, and that's what you're supposed to do. You would be a, a bad business person if you weren't looking at things as transactions. That's the way it works. I was looking at it with my heart. I was looking at it as my future home, not as a transaction. And as my mom told me on the phone later that day, you've already fallen in love with the house. Game over. You've already fallen in love with the house. And it's not a bad thing, right? But they were two different ways of approaching the same 
thing, the same, it wasn't a problem, the same thing. And I ended up, of course, buying the house, right? And, it, and it all, it's all been great. Uh, and now we get to look forward to moving into an even better, even nicer house called the Rectory here at Good Shepherd Episcopal Church just down the street. It's getting renovated. So we are very excited about that. But, but here's the thing. At the crossroads, at the crossroads, not ju- it wasn't just that a decision had to be made. It was that a whole philosophy had to be adopted in order to make the decision. And for Jesus and Peter, that's exactly what's going on. They're at a crossroads about what it means to be the Messiah. Now, Peter, for his part, he didn't just dream up what the Messiah was. He didn't just decide that he knew what the Messiah was. He inherited a long history, centuries of history in Israel of what the Messiah was going to be and what the prophecies about the Messiah was going to be. And what he had inherited was that the Messiah was going to be the new king of Israel. The Messiah was going to be, the, was going to be a, a military leader who was victorious and was going to be able to cleanse the land and bring back the state of Israel in its grandeur, in its brilliance. And Peter thought that was Jesus. Peter thought that he was going to be the one who was going to form an army and come into Jerusalem and kick the Romans out and take it over from the religious authorities who were sideways on things. And he thought that he was going to be the right-hand man of the future king of Israel. But that's not what Jesus expected. And when Peter confessed, you are the Christ, Jesus said, you're right, and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die, and on three days I'm going to rise again. That was the wrong answer for Peter. That was was not what he was expecting. He was twisted around on that, and and he, he pulls Jesus aside. I can just imagine it. You know, Peter kind of, these guys are young, right? Jesus was all 30, you know, two or 30 years old. These guys were young, pulling Jesus aside, away from the disciples. Jesus, I think you're a bit confused. That's not what the Messiah is. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to take over. You're supposed to win. You're supposed to go to war. You're supposed to have your throne and rule Israel. That's that's what you're supposed to do. And Jesus, realizing that Peter was speaking in a hushed tone, decided to go total opposite and make sure everyone could hear him. Get behind me, Satan! Jesus exclaims, looking back over his shoulder at the disciples to make sure that they got the message too. You've got your mind not set on divine things, but on worldly things, on temporal matters. You need to kind of switch your thinking here. So Peter and the disciples had a choice. Because Jesus was trying to build a group to follow him. And the choice for for Peter was between what he had expected and the worldly goods that were going to come out of it from his perspective, political ends, national ends. He was going to have economic ends that were good. But Jesus had something different that he was offering. And that was something not temporal, but spiritual. Not something finite, but infinite. Not something that was based in the world of people, but something that was of God. And for, for, for Peter, if, if I were to map it onto my own story, right? Peter was thinking transactionally, and Jesus was thinking about the heart, about how our heart 
is with God. And if our heart is with God, everything else falls into place. Everything else has the right perspective. And, and all things are possible when our heart is abiding with God. So, we have this crossroads and we kind of know how it ends. We'll talk about that later. But for today, we're second Sunday of Lent. What does this mean for us today? How do we, how do we even... We're not at a crossroads. We agree with Jesus. Yes, Jesus, we know you're going to go through the cross and the resurrection. We're done. Check, 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 check. We're good, right? Here's the thing. You and I are always in tension. You actually more than me. Father Derek and I, we get to just live spiritual lives and think about spiritual things, and we've got vestries and all sorts of other people to worry about the temporal matters. But for you, who are business people, who are out there in the world, there is a tension and my invitation to you this Lent is to put yourself in the crossroads with Jesus this Lent, just in some small little way. And here's a suggestion. If you are afraid of something, if you're afraid of something in your own job or in your own life, something afraid in your own house or your economics or your, maybe you're afraid of big political matters um, in this particular year for some odd reason, I don't know why, and... Let's say that's a fear of yours. Well, this Lent, my suggestion is to take a look at that fear and to, to acknowledge the fear and then put it in relationship, in dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Let yourself come to a crossroads with Jesus this Lent so that, so that you might see, as Peter saw, that Jesus provides a spiritual answer to your temporal question. Not to fix the temporal question, not to make that question go away, but to put it in the right perspective. Because so often, our fear drives the boat when really our faith should be driving the boat. So often, we find ourselves just worried, worried about whatever. You're like, why am I worrying about it? You look back in hindsight, and you're like, why did I even worry about that? And in that moment, there's an opportunity to stand with Peter and to be truthful and to be honest with yourself and with God, and to say, I'm really afraid of this one weird small thing that doesn't really matter, or maybe it does, and I don't know what to do. Let God, this Lent, come into that fear and provide an avenue of faith so that your fear and my fear might be put in the perspective that is divine. It won't fix the problem, right? It might not even bring you to a decision. But it, what it will do is it will remind you that Jesus is right there with you through the Holy Spirit, giving you exactly the faith that you need to confront the days ahead. And the reason I know that it's okay to stand in the crossroads this, rent, this Lent, the reason I know that it's okay to stand in the crossroads this Lent is because I've loved living in my house for the last 10 years. Amen.